Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll talk about the very tiny blip in Arsenal's fortunes, or major setback as Sky Sports called it, the 1-1 draw away at St Mary's, and we'll look ahead to the busy period coming up before the World Cup. Our guests this morning, Art de Roche and Adrian Clark. Morning. Good morning. Hello, how are you? Morning, night, yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you very, very much. Um, Before we talk about yesterday's game, today, 24th of October, marks 18 years since Arsenal's 49-game unbeaten Premier League run came to an end at Old Trafford when Mike Riley didn't give us anything. You think the referee was bad yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. Go back and have a watch of the tape of Mike Riley refereeing us at Old Trafford in 2000 and where was it? Four, yeah. Uh, oh my God, what an awful, awful night. I was there. Were you there, Adrian, by the way? No, I wasn't, but I was, yeah, I was very deeply unhappy with the officiating I and, and what went on. But I did love those games. I did love those United Arsenal games. Yeah, they, me they too. Were, they were theatre. Me too. Yeah. Art, you were like a child when, really, <laughs> uh, when, when so I'm not going to ask you if you were there. But of course, you do know about the Battle of the Buffet, where Cesc Fabregas allegedly threw a slice of pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, <laughs> I say allegedly, didn't he admit it? Well, anyway, we thought we'd ask, if you had been present, what buffet item would you have thrown and at who? Now, you can choose anyone. It doesn't have to be someone in that team. So uh, uh, if you want to throw a buffet, a buffet item at uh, a player or manager now, choose one. Art, what about you? The first item that came into my mind was a panini because you could kind of launch it like a javelin. <laughs> so it seemed quite practical, but... I, I just can't decide on who. So I think I'd just launch it and whoever it hits, it hits. Right. Okay. <laughs> the, the general. Okay. Fair enough. Generally just chuck it in the direction of opposition players or managers. And uh, yeah. uh, quite a fancy buffet, Adrian, a panini, by the way. I was wow. Say. Yeah. Uh, I, like, yeah. I haven't I mean, got as fancy as that. I'll be honest with you. What have you got? <laughs> I've got two. The first one's a little bit derogatory towards Ruud van Nistelrooy. Good. Because, it, because we used to call him old horse face, didn't we? So he'd maybe chuck some carrot sticks in his direction. Um, I, I think he would appreciate that. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way, by the way, listener, if you should know that everyone's face is either a horse or a plate, right? That's the basic way it works. Some people have faces that come out a bit. I'm definitely one of them. Some people yeah. have faces that are sort of more plate-like. So uh, everyone's a horse or a plate. Ruth Van Nistelrooy, definitely a horse. Um, definitely yeah. a horse. Um, but 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 my main my main um, throw 
It's quite an easy one, really. It, it is towards the referee for being so pro Manchester United. I think there was, I think he'd given eight penalties in his previous eight home games uh, at Old Trafford. He was the archetypal homer, and he bought this decision. You know, it was, it was clearly manufactured from Wayne Rooney. Well, Wayne Rooney's so driving, for, yeah, yeah, exactly. So for being such a chicken around Sir Alex Ferguson, I would definitely throw a chicken drumstick or two uh, in Mike Riley's direction. I think it might hurt as well a little bit. I think it might. I think it might if he gets the bony end. I think that's fair enough. By the way, for anyone who doesn't know, Mike Riley is currently in charge of refereeing in this country, Okay, Uh, If you watch that video, I actually showed it to my son, who obviously hadn't seen the game. And after three minutes, he went, turn it off, Dad, I can't. I can't bear it. And I think that's fair enough, really, as as uh, Jose Antonio Reyes got fouled for the 15th time by Gary Neville before he got a yellow card. I've been a bit broader about this. I've opened it up a bit more modern day, really. So what I'd do is I'd let the sausage rolls go really stale and then throw them at Bruno Fernandes and his ridiculous, pouty, stupid face just to see him go, referee! Go, yeah, here's another one, mate. Here's another one. That one's six days old. He's irritating, isn't he? He's, He's one of the most annoying players, I think, in the current game. Massively. Yeah. Beautiful footballer but incredibly annoying. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Southampton won, Arsenal won. I mean, like I said, it's a blip. It's a blip, right, Adrian? We didn't play particularly well after the first 20 minutes and uh, we all looked a bit knackered, but nothing much to worry about or worrying signs. I mean, we haven't played particularly well in the last four games, have we? No, I think it's catching up with us a little bit, the relentless schedule. Obviously, Mikel Arteta has a very favoured first eleven, and we've been quite fortunate with injuries. So he's been able to just carry on playing the same players. And yeah, Thursday, Sunday or whatnot each week does does take its toll. And I think that's maybe been evident in the in the last couple of second halves, in particular the one at Leeds. And the one at Southampton, there were some really interesting stats, actually, uh, that, that that I've stolen here from Harvey Downs, who, who works at Opta, published this on Twitter last night about Arsenal's first half, second half comparisons. In the last couple of games, you know, our XG is half. It was in the first half, in the second half of games. But there's one really striking stat, and that is successful passes by the opposition that are in our final third. And across the last two uh, first halves, 43, hardly any. We've dominated, we've controlled the game, we've played in the opposition half and we've created chances. Compare that 43 to 119 successful passes inside our our defensive third in the second half of the last two games. And what's the reason? We haven't maintained it. We've dropped off the intensity levels. We've not passed it anywhere near as well enough either. So that combination of sort of just being 5% lazier, more tired, you know, less intense in our off-the-ball work has allowed teams to come at us. Um, but but, but Mikel Arteta won't, he won't have that. He's got to just demand from the players the mentality of even if you are tired, you've got to push through it and you've got to, yeah, you've got to maintain your level for 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 80 minutes, as long as you can. And then it's down to him to recognise it, isn't it? And who's knackered? Can I take them off? And can I put on someone that can do just as good a job? I think it is up to the manager as well to recognise who is flagging, maybe a little bit earlier too. Yeah, Art, oh, they did look like they hit a collective wall, didn't they, yesterday? I mean, I, I mean, I know in your article you talked about ruthlessness in front of goal or, or, or basically being ruthless generally as a team and taking the chances. 
But obviously that isn't going to happen every time. You just, you know, you know, Gabriel Jesus, if he's slightly more informed than he would be, would have scored that chance in the first half. But in terms of the tiredness, we've talked a lot on this podcast about about Mikel Arteta's preferred first eleven. He definitely trusts them way more than the rest. But he's going to have to take a view on that, isn't he? Yeah, I think you saw, even if you look away from the chances, just when they had those moments where they try and string a really good sequence of passes together, they couldn't do it. Throughout the season, I think that's been almost a reset for them where they just pass the ball around the back for a little bit and then they go forward. And I think it was a moment in the second half where Saliba just, it's almost like he passes it blind, doesn't look before he makes the pass. And then um, luckily Adam Armstrong just (laughs) can't dribble for a second. (laughs) But I think those moments were where you just sort of standard slip a little bit. And if you can't string those passes together, you're just going to, lose momentum and control of the game. And I think that's where you probably look at the second half performance in particular and see where the improvements should have been. But as you say, it's not the end of the world because you compare that to the performance against Southampton last season and you you could still see Arsenal were better than they were that day in a few different aspects, especially the way they defended when they were under pressure with those long throws, those corners, that was how they got unstuck last year. And I thought, if anything, that was probably an encouraging sign that they, they were able to kind of see out those those storms in those moments. This lack of control, Adrian, I mean, like you say, it's partly down to tiredness. I think we can all see that. Maybe also partly down to how Southampton switched it tactically, which you could perhaps explain to us. But do you not think also the manager has to take some responsibility and perhaps act a little bit earlier than he did? Yeah, I mean, I touched on that just a moment ago, didn't I? I I do think it is his responsibility to just see who's flagging and make those calls maybe a little bit bit earlier with players that, that, yeah, that, that maybe need a breather. Maybe just make one or two unenforced changes to that starting eleven just to just to freshen it up. I think I think a lot of coaches do that and and it would it would lift, I think, players that have been on the sidelines to get that chance. So we can't do anything about the schedule, but we can do something about the way we manage the schedule of those individual players. So I think that'll be something to look at. Maybe we'll see a few more changes away to PSV. I know he won't want to give up that game because it you know, we win win at PSV and or we draw. can really, or draw. yeah, exactly, or draw and, and and we're nailed on to win the group. So, but personally, I would probably make a few more changes against PSV and 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 certainly leave Partey at home, maybe leave leave Saka at home. I would also leave Gabriel Jesus at home yes. just to, just to just to give him a breather. It's fine margins. We we should have won that game based on the chances we had in the first sort of 55 minutes. But ultimately, I think we were so so poor really in that second half that you can't grumble at the draw. And in a way, it's a draw that we wouldn't have got last season. I think that's the best way to view it. I think that's where art's coming from. Let's just take the point, accept the fact that we didn't play that well in the second half and, and move on. On the goal... I just wanted to mention that. Their goal it starts, or ours. Yeah, their goal. So so they, it starts with the goalkeeper. It really outlines what we're talking about, about just being that 5% off. Because we go to press and we don't press well enough. We're, we're two yards off. And we get caught. And, it, and we get caught and there's a, there's a dummy. 
It's a really good dummy from Southampton's point of view. And what it does, it it pulls Saliba to right back and it makes uh, Ben White end up in the centre-half position. Obviously, he's comfortable with that. But in that moment... He wasn't. And and as the, as the move attacks, Armstrong makes this untracked run diagonally right through the heart of our midfield. And the reason he's free is because we play 4-1-4-1 and because Thomas Partey is the rock in there. And what happened? He was the one that went out to close the player, gets done by the dummy. And this is the danger of playing with one anchor. Um, because Xhaka's already committed. He's, he's high up the pitch pressing. It leaves that big hole. And this is a, potentially a problem for us moving forwards and other teams will look look to exploit that. They will want to drag Partey away from the middle. Um, and when that happens, people like White and Saliba have just got to be a bit better and a bit more aware because as that move developed, Saliba hesitated, ended up taking the man at the far post. White hesitated and didn't even look at Stuart Armstrong on his run where he should have done and, and he, he goes into the box and, and scores. So that for me was a goal that that was great from Southampton's point of view, but slightly worrying from our end because other good teams will look to replicate that and we've, have, we've got to find a way to cope with it. On, on the other hand, though, Art, when you see in uh, in the first half, I think it was, when Partey intercepted um, mm. one of theirs and gave it to uh, Erdegaard, who who put uh, Jesus in, who did a little wriggle and got a shot into the side netting. You know, when Partey wins the ball high up the field like that, we're uh, we're in, aren't we? Yeah, it's it's a very high risk game, and I don't think it's a bad thing. <laughs> I feel like when you look at the Man United defeat at Old Trafford, obviously that was Lokonga playing in the middle there, and you saw, I guess, the drop off in just understanding of that position. Uh, between him and Partey because Arsenal, again, they tried to play high as they have done throughout the season. And that's not the problem. The problem is just when you get those finer details a fraction wrong, because then that's what opens up the space. So for me, I think, as you said, Ian, there is a definite plus side to it because when Arsenal do win the ball, in, in those positions, they tend to, to move it really quickly and get into the final third and get a shot off. But then it is just about how do you manage those situations when teams are able to play through, um, which I guess they haven't had as much practice at because they've been very efficient in the way they've defended quite high up. Yeah, it is risk and reward. What, what, but what we can fix is is maybe Thomas Partey's decision-making and, and on the, the game at Old Trafford, it was Sambi. For for the two United goals and obviously for the Southampton goal, our main defensive anchor is caught wide yeah. ahead of the ball. So what he's, I want us to carry on pressing. I don't want us to change the, the system necessarily, but Partey himself has got to maybe sometimes say, you know what, let them have it out wide. That's not going to hurt us there. They'll hurt us down the middle. So, yeah, I think he's just got to be a little bit more disciplined. I mean, he has been, hasn't he? He's he been has. tremendous. He's de- so, it's a developing yeah. team as well. I, I, you know, we forget that, that they are, you know, it's all come together this year and it's been absolutely fantastic. And there are going to be bumps along the way. Hello, it's Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen here, otherwise known as The Offside Rule. We have a very special show. It's been 10 years of The Offside Rule. If you've been enjoying it over the last decade, you can get some extra insight. Yes, we have a really good chat about how the industry has changed 
in the 10 years and chat as well about some of the highs of recording a podcast as an only female trio in the football world and some of the lows as well. So join us for fun. We're also joined by Harriet Drudge and Laura Williamson from The Athletic. So check it out. That's The Offside Rule. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. White cross. Oh, what the was absolutely glorious. The Jacker finished with his right foot against PSV on Thursday. His weakest Let's talk R, about uh, Granite Erling Haaland Jacker, as we now call him, <laughs> uh, free scoring. <laughs> that was some finish, wasn't it, by the way? I mean, added to the finish he got on Thursday night against PSV and then the one yesterday, he's having a great time. And right-footed as well. I mean, who is this man that is playing in the centre arm? <laughs> this is imposter. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like even before his goal, he was Arsenal's best player. The spaces he was finding and the fact, I think... Southampton started with a four just meant that he had so much more space to go into and they weren't tracking him. Obviously, they then changed and went to a five, which kind of limited the space for him. But that finish, I didn't realise how good it actually was when I first saw it. Obviously, I'm kind of in front of it in the press box or behind it, whatever you want to say. Yes. And it goes in and I didn't realise how much of a kind of half-volleyed strike it actually was. Beautiful. Um, and the control we put on it on his right foot was insane. But it's just weird that with each game that passes, he's almost adding another layer to his game with every game, with every match that goes on. I think even in the PSV game, he did that little outside the boot flick around the corner to Jesus and those little first touch passes and chops as well you've seen I think you're seeing someone who's confident and hopefully that confidence stays despite the draw at Southampton feeling like a loss. The other person uh, I wanted to mention as well uh, Ben White uh, did he pick him out, by the way, Adrian, do you think? I mean, it did look like he actually looked up and had a look and saw him coming in. I mean, he planted it. I mean, yes, the finish was fantastic, but that was some cross from Ben White. It was, yeah. I talked about this on the Breakdown Live. There was just a little corridor that opened up for him, and it wasn't a very wide corridor. It was as narrow as, you know, you stretch your arms out wide. It was It was smaller than that. And he had to feed it in at the right pace. And it was it was the perfect cross. And I did think that, that White and Saka played well in that first half. They combined nicely. And we, we got a lot of joy down that side. On the other side, 
not so much because of the imbalance and and yeah i just think on reflection maybe maybe Tierney should have started a lot the of game. people a lot of people yeah. have said that because of his overlapping and i thought he looked pretty yeah. decent when he came it's, on as well it's the balance yeah i mean he was very close to making the assist obviously he overran the ball it was just a fraction over the byline wasn't it would have been a wonderful setup for, for martin Erdegaard. i do i do think that the tommy Asu selection was was tailor made for mark and salah out of the game but as a first pick ahead of Tierney I'm not so sure even and that's nothing against Tommy he's a great defender but it just does impact the balance of the team and having someone like Tierney that can overlap left-footed free but what it does it it creates more confusion for the right back because they don't know where Martinelli's going to go because Martinelli might pop up inside more often and and with Tommy sort of back, just backing him up, it's easier to mark Martinelli. And I think we saw that in this game. He, he wasn't as impactful. I mean, he was good at the start, got on the outside a few times, but he wasn't as unpredictable, Martinelli, in this game as he has been this season. Oh. I think even with Tierney overlapping, you've seen this season as well, mostly in the Europa League games, but also in the few Premier League games he's played, he's inverted a lot too. I think at Bodo Glimt away, I was just kind of watching him for a lot of that game and he was in the centre circle for most of it. Yeah, he was, um, yeah, yeah. Which was quite, quite fun to watch because you just, again, he's another player where you're seeing him grow every time he takes to the pitch. And I think to be fair to him, he's actually performed that role quite well. His passing has been really sharp and accurate and he's still been able to get around the outside at times as well. So I'd like to see how that actually looks in the Premier League game at some point, um, because yeah. we all know, obviously, it's great for him to to be doing that in the Europa League, but the the test will be a bit different uh, in the Premier League. So hopefully, he's been showing that he can do kind of both sides of that uh, to impress Arteta enough to give him a chance in the next few weeks. Because as we know, I think it's six games in three weeks before the World Cup. So. We'll we'll, um, we'll get we'll talk about them because it is uh, yeah two Europa League games uh, four sorry three league games and a uh, Brighton in the Carabao Cup isn't it? Um, by the way, I know I mentioned Ben White. If you want to see something awkward and uncomfortable, watch a minute and a half of Ben White being interviewed on Swedish TV, especially the bit oh, when, when uh, the guy asked him uh, whether uh, about Arsenal being bullied. Is it important that since you're now the league leaders, obviously, and, and a few years back, people could say, OK, if you go at Arsenal, you can, you can have a go. Um, is it important for you to not be bullied in, in matches like this? Yeah, I don't think we were bullied. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure where we got bullied. No. Um, it, was the, it was a physical game, it looked like. Right. More than more than usual, but no, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. not that I know, but I've been playing in the season this, yeah. this year. Ben White looks like he's never been bullied in his life. I mean, first <laughs> he wasn't all, having it, was he? He wasn't <laughs> having it, and I and I and I like that he wasn't having it as well. I don't think. I don't think they did bully us. I mean, we'll get to the refereeing. I do want to talk about the refereeing. No, no, I do, Adrian, but I don't want to make it the focus of what happened yesterday because in the end it was a slightly disappointing performance and you can make a case, a very pretty strong case, for the draw being the right result. We probably deserve to win on the balance of chances and if we'd have got some refereeing decisions, we would have won, I believe, particularly the penalty on uh, Jesus. But... It wasn't about that. I think I think this podcast, we can't be coming on here every week going, that referee was rubbish. Having said that, he was 
<laughs> Absolutely terrible. And I've seen him ref before. Has he done us before, Art? I think so, I've seen I've seen him, but I don't think he's done one of our games. And I mm. saw him for another game, and I thought he was terrible then. <laughs> and I and I don't. I certainly haven't changed my opinion. We didn't get the balance of the decisions, did we? Adrian? No, I don't think so. The thing that annoyed me the most about Robert Jones in the game there was the way that he allowed Southampton central defenders to manhandle Gabriel Jesus. On numerous occasions, they had both arms around him around his neck, around his shoulders, around his waist, and he just let it go. And and if you give a centre-back licence to do that... They'll keep doing it. They'll, they'll keep, a, they'll keep doing it, but B, they'll push their luck, and they'll they'll be even more aggressive. And they were, and, and he continued to let them get away with it. That's my main gripe. I actually, and I, I go against the grain with a lot of Arsenal fans here, I wasn't convinced it was a penalty no, on neither, Gabriel Jesus. To be honest, but, but... Because of the jump from Gabriel Jesus. I think if he goes down more naturally... You can maybe if he falls forward, for example, as if he's been bundled over, then I think it would have been a more sympathetic view from VAR. But he jumped away in a very unnatural way. And I think on the back of what happened with that Liverpool penalty, you know, the Liverpool incident, the Ferrari around that, I think he paid the price for it there. So for me, it wasn't a penalty, but I know yeah. that the majority of Gunas would disagree. But I think they've got their red specs on. Personally. Yeah, no, I I agree with you because I saw uh, I saw people put the picture up of Jesus being uh, held by uh, by Lianco, wasn't it? They said, "Oh no, it was the other guy, the newer guy whose name I, I forget now." Uh, and then there was a picture of uh, Scott McTominay holding on to Jorginho in the midweek game. Now I think that was more of a of a stonewall penalty than the one on uh, on Gabriel Jesus, but it wasn't just about that. Uh, by the way, he uh, he did referee our two one home win over Villa earlier in the season when he didn't give a penalty uh, to to uh, Bukayo Saka when Tyrone Mings did a similar thing, and then Bukayo Saka also sort of jumped backwards a little bit and didn't get the penalty for that. Obviously, don't jump backwards with this referee. (laughs) Lads, this is Robert Jones. Make sure you make it look uh, more obvious. But this thing, going back to that interview, Art, uh, about how the umbrage that Ben White took over the fact that this Swedish TV uh, interviewer would dare to suggest that we were bullied I mean, I like that attitude from him. He's probably the best personality, I think. When you're looking at someone, obviously it's a very small window. We get to see uh, Arsenal players' personalities in these kind of interviews. But I think he's someone who who just thrives in uncomfortable situations. And, And it's really quite impressive to watch because then when you see him play, you see someone who's comfortable within himself. Um, someone who's not trying to be someone else. He's not trying to be a right back that's like Trent Alexander-Arnold or Reese James. And he's not trying to be Tom, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu at right back either. He's just playing as Ben White plays. And I think with that, you see then in his interviews, he's very straightforward, very dry. very <laughs> and 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 I just think that kind of contributes to even more kind of love towards him because he's not taking any I'm not sure if we're allowed to swear on here but I think we understand the point you you understand the point um so yeah I think out of everyone he's probably the funniest just to see in those situations because he is such a a quirky personality 
He's strong. I think he's got a strong personality. I've had audience members like that who'll just sort of stare at you because <laughs> because they want to. And you and there's not many that I can't outdo, right? I will crack him up with something. But Ben White, you think, will be a hard nut to crack, don't you think, Adrian? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. No, it's good to have personalities like that. And, yeah, strong opinions and has his own opinion. And, and he's not going to he's not going to be a follower. He's not a sheep, is he? But, yeah, he, he clearly thinks about football as well. I think that, that shines through. When when you when you hear him talk, he yeah he's an intelligent guy. I think, in my opinion, he seems quite quite football smart for sure, and um, yeah, and and that's probably why he's been able to adapt to this new role so seamlessly because yes. he's, he's willing to embrace new instructions, new ideas. But he's a player, isn't he, Adrian? That's the other thing. I mean, if if oh, yeah. Gabriel Magalhaes, right, who I really love and I genuinely do, I think he's great, and I'm so glad he signed a new contract. If he was playing at right back. I would be concerned. I don't think he has the, the physicality. But Ben White, he looks like he can play in that position. He's a footballer. And, and this yeah. is why I'm, I'm a little bit mystified as to why Gareth Southgate doesn't seem to rate Wrong. him. Because, <laughs> because he's a very cultured... <laughs> no, but, I know, but he's, he's a very cultured footballer. In the Championship, and I know the Championship is, is, is a you know, big step down, but he was known really as, as just a ridiculously accomplished footballer, not just as a, a really smart defender. He he just stood out for being oozing quality on the ball. And he, he did the same at Brighton. That fact gets lost a little bit at Arsenal because of the talent that is surrounded is surrounding him. But he is a player and um and I think he's been a great signing. I know he wasn't cheap but I think he's providing value for money. money. I really do. Yeah. I would agree. Uh this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ian Stone, Art de Roche, and Adrian Clark here on Handbrake Off from The Athletic. We want to talk a little bit more about what we've got coming up in the next three or four weeks before the World Cup uh, starts. Uh, before I mention that, Charlie Patino getting serenaded by the Blackpool fans. Just lovely to watch. Man of the match performance. They beat Preston 4-2. I've seen various comments on Twitter saying, I don't. I think uh, some Blackpool fans saying, I'm not so sure that Arsenal's the right environment for him. Maybe he should stay <laughs> at Blackpool for the next 13 or 14 years. Oh, I mean, you've watched him grow up. Haven't you really? You've seen him come through from the kids into the into the uh, the reserve team, and now he's playing this beautiful football at Blackpool. We do have a player there, don't we? Definitely. I think last season was really interesting for him because he had a coach who'd known him since he was about fifteen, 
14 years old in Kevin Betsy uh, with the under 23s. And you saw throughout the year, he was asked to do a few different things in midfield. He would be asked to to be the first receiver from goal kicks and be involved in the build up play really deep. Then you saw he was given a bit more license to play almost as a number 10 and be higher up the pitch. And then probably second half of the season after his injury, he was more of a number eight traveling through midfield with the ball. And I think being exposed to all those types of, I guess, demands in midfield are probably been very beneficial for him going into first team football, because then if he's asked to do any of those things um, by Michael Appleton, he has the experience to do it. And we all know that he's got the quality to do it as well. I think just the big thing for him was coming through that little setback that he had with an injury, ankle injury at the start of the season and getting some regular first team football. And then you can finally see that kind of consistency come through because it's not it's not just been, I guess, the goal and the assist that he got against Preston North End that have impressed, but he's also had really good overall performances in recent weeks. And it's just quite good to see that Arsenal have trusted Michael Appleton again with another loanee and it's worked because I think it was two players they sent to him at Lincoln. They've also trusted Blackpool in the past with two players, Daniel Ballard and uh, Tyrese John Jaws. And I think you're seeing the benefit of building those relationships at club level and finding the the right club that suits the right player. I mean, it's not just it's not just him, is it? I saw Flo Balligan scored again uh, at the weekend, and that was a finish as well. That was a finish of someone who's in form and confident. The future looks pretty bright, doesn't it, Adrian? It does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you want your players to to shine on these loan spells, like Saliba did, uh, so that when they do come back, they're they're ready to be involved. And yeah, it feels that the fact that Flo Balligan is shining so brightly in Ligue 1, um, for a team that isn't expected to to score that many goals, is very positive, and and I think that means that he'll come back higher up the pecking order than than when he left. So, so it's a boost for him. On Patino, I think now that he's had first team football, that's it has to continue. He can't go back to twenty threes football now. He has to either be part of our squad or or go out on on loan again. But yeah, he's a culture player. I think he needed to to sort of the experience of the championship to toughen him up. He's still a young boy, got plenty of time for growth. But yeah, the championship's tough. I watch a lot of football at that level and it's not easy to shine, but he's got a, he's got something about him, that's for sure. He reminds me a little bit of, of a player that came through at a similar time to me, um, Stephen Hughes. He, he, very cultured, left foot, left foot. I'd have said Brady, res- by the way. I'd have said yeah, Liam yeah, Brady, well, and that is high well, praise. Well, Hughesy was Hughesy was compared to him at, at one point as yeah. well. You see, so just lovely balance, good left foot, excellent inside the opposition half with the with the ball at his feet, makes good decisions. So yeah, I think um, I think we got a player. He's, he, could it be Granite Jacker's backup next season. I think you think he probably could. Not bad. I remember going to a Goodison Park once the night before the Grand National. We won 1-0 away at Everton and uh, Stephen Hughes scored the winning goal. And there were only 59 of us who went. <laughs> we all got on one coach. We all got on one coach. Anyway, uh, those are the days. Uh, as I said to you at the start, uh, Sky Sports described the draw with Southampton as a major setback in reference to the title race. Uh, it was actually Guy, our producer, who pointed uh, me in the direction of this. It is just a bump in the road, but obviously what we would like to do is get back to winning ways uh, as soon as possible. But but 
The good news is the afternoon got better, didn't it, uh, yesterday? We obviously already had Chelsea and Manchester United drawing uh, on Saturday night. Tottenham losing at home to Newcastle. So by the end of the day, I was actually feeling quite chipper. But Art, have our aims and ambitions changed given the start of the season? I mean, is it still just Europa League, win the Europa League if we can, or certainly get as close as possible and get in the top four? Yeah, uh, apologies from my end, but I haven't changed my <laughs> objectives. You don't have to apologise. You're absolutely right to not. If we're still top after 30 games, we <laughs> have to talk about the title, but one game at a time. But it's it's top four, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think people will probably... It's probably just Arsenal fans, I feel, that have been reluctant to say they've changed their kind of ideas. I know a lot of people have been making... The title charge stuff's mostly been jokes from Arsenal fans, I feel. Mostly? Mostly? Who <laughs> genuinely thinks that we can get more points than Manchester City this season? And then, but I think when when you look at this stage of the season anyway, it's all about just building a good foundation to have a platform in the second half of the year. When you Stay look at, in it. Stay in it, right? Alex Ferguson used to say, if you're still in it in April, you've got a chance. Yeah. So let's stay in it. And I think when you look at last season, it was Chelsea who were top after 10 games, five points ahead of Man City. So that's just proof that it can still change a lot. But as you say, I think the kind of standards that were set in the first 10 games were very good. And if you can kind of hit the reset button now during this kind of stretch towards the World Cup, then that'll put Arsenal in a very, very good position. Uh, we've got, we got six games, as I said. We've got PSV uh, away in the Europa League and Zurich at home. And then we've got three Premier League games, Forest at home, Chelsea away, Brighton at home, and uh, sorry, a Wolves away, and Brighton at home in the Carabao Cup. I mean, if, if the squad is fit and firing, I'm thinking we can we can get points, and, and quite a lot of points from those games, and, and uh, certainly win at home to Zurich, no points in the Europa League so far. Um, I, I'd be hopeful that we go through top uh, in the Europa League. But he does, we, this is what we talked about at the start, Adrian, he does have to rotate a bit. Where is the rotation? I mean, you said it earlier, didn't you? you were saying leaving uh, Jesus at home, playing Eddie up front away at PSV, leaving um, Thomas Partey at home, playing Sambi in that position. Could we do more than that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is Zinchenko coming back, so so he can potentially come into the into the side. I I would consider bringing him back into the team in Granit Xhaka's position at PSV and play Kieran Tierney at, at left back. I think that would effectively work on a number of levels. It gets Zinchenko up to speed. It gives Granit a little bit of a breather. I would definitely leave Thomas Partey at home. I thought he he, he looked tired in that second half and he's he such did. a key man. Absolutely yeah. integral. We need him to feel good. We need him to feel good ahead of Forest. We need him to be fr- fresh for that Chelsea game because he'll be huge in that for us. I wouldn't play Thomas Partey in any of the, the cup games. I'd just play him in the three league games between now and the World Cup. Probably something similar with Saka as well. And yeah, I just think we can afford to. We're going to, we're going to win the group in Europe. So I think we can afford to take a risk or two in those two games. Um, yeah, where else can we rotate? <sighs> I think, yeah, I think Saka and Jesus are the two that stand out. I think Nketiah and Marquinhos can come in and, you know, in Europe and, and that's absolutely, absolutely fine. Or Fabio Vieira can play out wide. Yeah. What about Martin Erdegaard? 
What about Martin Erdegaard in the centre? Because I was surprised he took him off because I still think, even when we're not playing that well, he's still a wonderful footballer and some of the things he can do and open up defences. And I don't think Vieira's at that level yet. No, I, I agree. I, I think Erdegaard in the Premier League is is he has to play in all those games. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't think he's as in need of a rest no. as Saka or Martinelli. I do think, I have to say that 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 choice Arsenal made in the transfer window not to sign an extra forward that plays out, that can play out wide or down the centre is coming back to bite us a little bit. You can see that now because Saka and Martinelli have had so much football. Marquinhos is obviously a rookie in that position. Eddie Nketiah isn't a wide forward. He's a centre forward. Um, So with Smith Rowe out it has left a little bit of a void uh, of options for, for Saka and Martinelli. So that's something I think we should do in January. We should we should dip our toe in and, and buy a wide forward that can, yeah. that can also do a job up front. I think that is the, the one position that we're most in need of. Oh, that was the next question, uh, which which Adrian has sort of expressed his view. I would I would completely agree about that. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I I know Martinelli is probably one of the big ones in need of a rest as well. But for me personally, I, I I still see that central midfield position as more of a priority. Just when you look at the drop off between Partey and Lukonga, in terms of just understanding that role and. The presence really in in that kind of lone anchor position, yeah, but, but I guess get, though, yeah. that's, that's yeah. who do you get? Who is gonna? Who's better than Sambi in that position? He's though? a very good who's, player, still Sambi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> mean for that. You understand what I'm saying? Who do you get? Who is gonna be happy to play second fiddle to Thomas Partey? Who's good enough? I don't know. <laughs> and, but the Can thing you is, find out for us and let yeah, us know? Yeah, I'll try and find out. But the thing is as well, I feel like it's almost a similar discussion with that wide forward position because yes. you're not, you're not going to bring in someone who plays ahead of Jesus. Then do you knock Eddie further down the pecking order? Then you've got Balogun coming back in the summer and you've got Smith Rowe coming back after the World Cup, who's obviously not that type of player, but plays out wide too in a slightly different role. So it is kind of a headache, which I guess that's why Edu and all those guys uh, are paid so much to kind of figure it out. But for me, I just see that midfield area as a bit more important, I guess. Yeah, in terms of control. Um, Well, it is a conundrum. Because you look at this squad and there are only two or three players off are properly challenging for the title, I think. And obviously, if they became available in January and you went, right, we're splashing out 150 million quid and we're going for it. Um, obviously, but no, but I'm, I'm saying that, that a lot of fans are going, oh my God, that is because you want to strike while the iron's hot. Because there is an argument, Adrian, that's the last season we missed out on top four because we didn't do exactly that in January. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. You've got to throw your weight around. When you're in this position of strength, in my opinion, you've got to go to it. If there's a player that we identify in the Premier League or elsewhere, but I'm thinking Premier League, that's having a good season that we think could improve us in either of those two positions, then that we should make that presence felt in January, in my opinion. We're a big club. Last, last, we're a huge club. We, we're seen now as, you know, possible title contenders, but we, we've elevated ourselves 
to, to a position where we're, we're almost the most attractive team to, to join outside of City and Liverpool now. I think, well, I think we are. And we've got to use that. We're too cautious, too safe last January. We obviously were preoccupied with getting rid of Aubameyang and streamlining the squad. This time around, I think we should probably do the opposite. Let's talk briefly about uh, Liverpool nil, Arsenal 2, the Women's Super League game uh, yesterday morning. Pretty uh, relaxed win for the women. 12 successive wins now, a Women's Super League record. Set the winning record in 2018, which Manchester City equaled in 2021. Haven't let in a goal this season. Well, we let in one against, but okay, we let in one away at Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> the European champions uh, in our 5-1 victory. Things are moving forward very, very nicely, Art. Very nicely. And I think what's really interesting from the past week, so the both the Liverpool and Lyon games, is how <clears throat> how they've uh, been able to just throw freedom on them into the midfield and play slightly differently. Good finish um, that as well. Yes. Very good finish. I think having that option of someone who's able to travel with the borders will help them a lot more when they when they come up against those big European teams. It was something that they struggled with last year in terms of, yes, Vivian Miedemar is great, but then if you're having her almost dropping back to take the ball off centre-backs, that's not what she's there to do. Um, so slightly altering your game a bit, but keeping the same, I guess, principles. I, I think they're doing that really well. And um, hopefully they're able to kind of continue that momentum through through the coming weeks. And they've obviously got another big Champions League game at the Emirates on, on Thursday coming. Yeah. is that Was it a record 10th WSL clean sheet in a row as well? Yeah. So basically every time they keep a clean sheet now, it's going to be a record because they set... I think they set the record on eight against Tottenham, extended it to nine against Reading, and now 10 against Liverpool. I, I saw some of the game yesterday. I watched the first half an hour. I had to nip out uh, for a bit. Um, and when I came back, it basically was the same game. I mean, Liverpool were hardly in our penalty area. So uh, yeah. I saw the stats, 15 shots inside the box to Liverpool's four shots inside our box. It, you know, it tells a story. On the defence, by the way, obviously we've got the two first-choice centre-halves out at the moment with Williamson <laughs> and Raphael. So Steph Catley and, and Lotta Woodward-Moy centre-back at the moment. So well done to, the, to to those girls too. Great. Let's have a song to end. Um, my song is based around the um, the men's team, uh, I should say this right now. But we'll go to you first, Adrian. I'm keeping it simple. <laughs> I'm going to go with Bon Jovi. Keep the faith. <laughs> Keep, Keep the, the faith. faith. I, chill yeah. out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. one all draw away at a game we lost last year, by the yeah, way. Yeah, don't. Don't let your love turn to hate. That's one of the lines. You've got to keep the faith. You know, uh, you know you're going to live through the rain. Uh, obviously, it's been pouring with rain. You're going to have these days where you're just not quite at it. Man City have these days. Liverpool have these days. It's it's um, it's part of a season. So let's just chill out and keep the faith. What you got for us, Art? Out the way by Yeet. Because Southampton away always is always terrible. And, out of the way. and I feel like now that that's out of the way, I can probably be happy for the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to Southampton away once on New Year's Day. And uh, we're on the train at 10 o'clock and everyone's got a hangover. And somebody went, give us an eye. And the whole train went, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think not the, loud, it's too loud. The thing about Southampton is it's it's not far enough away and it's not close enough to make it comfortable, a comfortable trip anyway. 
everything about it is just wrong. So <laughs> well, it's out of the way now. Yeah. It's out of the way. Uh, I'm going slightly left field uh, with my song. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen Blazing Saddles, uh, the Mel Brooks masterpiece. Uh, yeah. There's a song in there by uh, Madeline Kahn, just one of my favourite comic actresses, sings a song called I'm Tired. Uh, it's a sort of pastiche of Marlene Dietrich, and it's absolutely one of the funniest comic songs ever. And it's about how tired she is, and I felt it was uh, apt for our boys this weekend. But you know what? They'll have a good rest. They'll be back on Thursday. They've got what? They've got four days off. It's like having a holiday now, isn't it, really? <laughs> um, that's it. Listener, thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Adrian and Art, and thank you to Guy, our producer. I'm Ian Stone, and this has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.